Evening, folks. Welcome along once again to the Irish Rally Podcast in association with Tree Rock Display Signage Brandon, our sponsors for the Tarmac Championship. We thank them for their continued support throughout the championship. Uh, this evening is going to be another interactive program. Worked very well after the only gone international rally, and we said, why not give it a, a lash again? We put up a post yesterday asking people to get in touch with us with any issues that they may like raised. Uh, a few people have got in touch, so I will be addressing those issues. Uh, a lot of them are to do with uh, historic rallying. Funnily enough, and um, we said, do you know what? In line with that, we better get a historic competitor on. So we're bringing back Mr. Tommy Coman, who, of course, is with us after the Rally of the Lakes. And uh, he's going to join us in about 15 minutes' time or so. If you have any questions you want to ask during the program, you can, of course, comment under the stream. We're live here on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube. Just be careful with the Twitter comments. They don't come directly into the interface. Facebook and YouTube do. And as always, you can email us, Podcast at gmail.com. So, uh, yeah, we'll bring in our guest, uh, Anthony Nestor. How are you doing, sir? Hello there. And Mr. Kevin O'Reardon, COC of the Core 20 at the weekend. How are you doing, Kevin? Thanks for joining us once more. Good evening, lads. How are you? You're both well? Yeah, we're not going too bad. We're not tired, Kevin, are you? Just a tad. (laughs) (laughs) Pure exhausted, actually. Yeah, it'll take a few days, I'd say, especially with the bank holiday also. Yeah, absolutely. I think, when, uh, I think when you find when and I correct me actually, I think Kevin, you're more about Kevin's. You might be GA people, but when the GA win in All Ireland or something like that, they taken to Dubai or on, on a fancy holiday somewhere. Is this does Munster Motor Club afford you the same privilege? You get a week in Dubai after the Cork Twenty or not quite? That's all I'd say. Not quite. Not I quite. Think. Just a tad short of that. Just a tad short, yeah. How but it's a good plan. Yeah, look, it, it went well. It, it was um, it was a, a tough, a tough weekend. I suppose anyone who was at it and knew a bit of what's going on behind the scenes knew it was a tough weekend. But there were some great battles going on there. Like the the weather turned a bit iffy on us on the the Saturday evening, right, which uh, made things interesting on the road surfaces. But um, Sunday was a beautiful day, like sun shining all day, and that uh, was great. Bat- great battles, unfortunately, now for a few people, obviously, like. Alistair there going off and a few more mm. like it. Colin Byrne in the national like was you know they had to win in their grasp and that's rallying as it was just yeah too late um, to run the break battle three, 3.1 seconds between Moffat and Stefine going into the last couple of stages that was that was a nail biter in particular what we're going to do tonight Kevin before we delve into the, the kind of heavier stuff is we might actually start with the class winners because I know often yeah. on the programme we end up doing it last but why not start with it yeah absolutely yeah, I do. Um, well, in Class Nine, we we only had the one finisher, and that was Gary Larden. So, in he finished thirty third overall as well. So, he took Class Nine, Class Eleven F. Then there was a, a lot of carnage in Class Eleven F. Like there was actually only two finishers in the class in the end. Um, Jason Ryan took it from Aaron Brown. Um, interestingly, Aaron's engine popped about two weeks before the rally, so he was actually just in a, a standard engine for the weekend, which was a, a major achievement to be putting the times he was putting in. Then in Class 11R, we had um, Ben Walsh had a fine run in the Mark II to finish first from Bob Morn and Eamon O'Connell, who was one of the event sponsors, um, <laughs> which was handy. He, he pipped his brother Paul for a change. There was a good battle goes on between the two of them every, every rally, but uh, Paul had some problem on Sunday with a starter, I think. So actually, one person who needs to mention, I think, in Class 11R is Amy Burke, who came fifth in the class. I think that was only her second ever event. So to finish fifth in a, an event of that was a fair a fair achievement. Um, class 12 then, we had Niall Fitzpatrick in Mark 1 escort from Raymond O'Neill. He won it there by about a minute and a half, which was a, a great result. Class 13, um, Colin Moynihan was the first Class 13 car home, but as Colin won, he got third in the national award. So that would mean to default down then to the next non-overall non results. So that would be Sean Moran from Mark O'Connor and Lyre Jones in third. Class 14, a similar situation. Simon Reid was the first Class 14 car home, but he actually won the national award overall. So it would default down to the next Class 14, which would be Vince Touche, followed by Pascal O'Shea in the the BMW. Um, Class 15 was uh, Thomas O'Rourke in the Evo, won it from Ian Chadwick. Again, there was only two finishers in that class. So I did a good battle there all weekend, set some great times. Um, class 20 was Wayne Sisson, who was over f- for the first time he did the rally, actually, in, a, in Evo 10. He's a very quick driver, very quick driver. 
class 24 was Andrew Purcell, who hadn't been out in the car, I think, in something like three years or something. But he was on the pace and unbelievably quick like to get the hang of it. So he won class 24 and came fifth overall, actually. He was fourth overall going into the last stage, but he, he had David Guest hot in his heels and Andrew said he'd go for it and uh, lost out in 40. He spun at the junction and lost about 40 seconds, I think. So he won that from Niall Devine in a, another fiesta. The class RC2 then, um, obviously Josh, Callum and Marion were the, the, the top three overall. So David Guest won the was the won the class for RC2 from Endo O'Brien and Dara Reardon in his S2000. Class RC4, you had Casey J. Coleman, who had a phenomenal run. He actually finished 12th overall in an RC4 car, which is an astounding result. In fact, actually, all the RC4s you had, Casey J., Jason Dixon, and Ryan Caldwell, all in RC4s. And this finished 12th, 15th, and 19th. Like that, That's serious pace serious from those one, guys. Yeah. Like, One-litre yeah. cars, like, just phenomenal, like. Um, we moved on then to the historic category in class 17. We had Ned Flanavan, sorry, in the Lancia Fulvia, who finished first in that. <coughs> Excuse me. In class um, 18 in the historics, you had Neil Williams, obviously, won it overall from um, Adrian Evans. You had Duncan Williams won that was the next best up in class 18. He won the class from Padra Walsh and Berrien Richards was third. Class 13 or 19, uh, you had Luke McCarthy who finished second overall in the overall historics. So that would default that would, Ray Breen would be the, the class winner in that section in the, the legacy. And then in the juniors, there was um, great battles went on there all day. Very close finish. Aaron McAvoy won the juniors, obviously, from Gary Healy and Anthony O'Driscoll. There was only four seconds between them at the end. But the first in the class there for as the three lads were overalls would be Jamie O'Rourke in the Honda from Captain Walsh and Ryan McHugh, who I think is one of the, I think he's doing very well in the championship at the moment. So I think, is he after wrapping it up? He could have, he could I have, yeah. He might have he wrapped it have, up, yeah. Could have, yeah. guest here after every goal, I think, yeah. Um, he was out in Rally 2, so he obviously had some problem, I see there. He was in Rally 2. So so he could have, he could have wrapped up the championship possibly, yeah, so. So they were all the class winners. Like there were some great battles in all the classes. Actually, a lot of them went down to the last two stages. Like which was great to see. Like but as I said, obviously some people lost out on the on the Sunday from various wins and leads. Like so, savage racing all weekend. To, to have two days of what two hundred and thirty kilometers and to go into the last stage with three seconds between the two boys was phenomenal. Mm. Like, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Can I ask something before Anthony jumps in there? Um, as I see, <laughs> like, as come a, here, come here. I love the race. I'm going to jump in. Well, I actually, I'm going to jump. And that'll in be first for twenty minutes. You see, so I'm, just going back to, and... I'm, I'm going to give him a giggle. You know that when you started speaking, your phone pinged. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can look at it now. I was trying to save you. All that right. was me. all right. <laughs> Let's see if someone else pick up on that. Okay, Kevin, moving swiftly along. Okay, I was, just, I was just going to ask in general, and obviously we've had several COCs on, on the podcast, right? But during the weekend, is there any part of that actually enjoyable when it's ongoing? Like? Honestly, that's a good question, though. If you'd asked me was I enjoying it on Saturday, I'd have gladly gone home. Mm. But then you see the way it runs on the Sunday and it runs smoother, and like you, it is a big adrenaline buzz. There's no two ways about it. Like, Is it enjoyable? Yeah, I suppose overall, look, we wouldn't do it if we didn't enjoy it. Like, but the stress levels are higher, right? Yeah, I would yeah. say over the weekend, if I had five hours sleep, six hours sleep max in the whole weekend was as much like. And like Saturday, we had a lot of we had a lot of issues there on Saturday, obviously with various bits and pieces, and there was an accident, and there was a lot going on. We had to move stage starts, and then we had a big marshalling problem on Sunday morning, where basically we were. I was told on the way out to the first stage of the two-stage loop, so it was about 40 minutes off the running of the stage, we were 13 junctions short in marshals. With 13 out of 18 junctions, like, so there was a, a bit of frantic phone calling and there was a few people pull, really pulled the stops out and they'd have to come in, Greg McCarthy being one of them, like, he really pulled the stops out to get get marshals down, like, we sat with the safety plan and just pull bodies where we could, like, but, yeah, it is, look, you wouldn't do it if you didn't enjoy it, obviously, like, but the, the workload and the pressure and the stress is huge, right, yeah, huge. But mm-hmm. sure, that's what we do. Someone has to do it, I suppose. Mm. Well, do I, Anthony? Yeah, how would you know I have anything to ask? Ah, sure, Jez, you always have something to talk about. 
I know. Never I'm, saw I'm you quiet. I'm interested to, to see how your stress level. Obviously, one of the issues actually that was highlighted. Obviously, I didn't do the event this year, but one of the events that seemed to highlight itself was the um, a few um, penalties handed out for um, tire warming. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, it's. Wow. I think it's a discussion that's happened many times as to. And many, many COCs over the years are saying, you know, no tire warming and no tire warming. But of course, unfortunately, you have officials at one end telling you there's no tire warming and a manufacturer telling you at the other side that it's unsafe to go in with them cold. So you're looking at your own personal safety with one hand and you're looking at receiving penalties with the other hand. And unfortunately, your own personal safety will always win out. So mm. you'd wonder, is it a time for for mandatory tire warming zones in between the control. I know it's something we spoke about in this podcast some time back that to have, you know, if you avoid, I don't know, what was the link to your first stage, say 17, 15, 17, just pick 15 kilometers even. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think a competitor would care whether there was 13 or 15 and use the first two as a tire warming area with no mm. public access and give you two or three kilometers to warm things up uh, in a safe environment. and. Funny enough, I actually had that discussion with two competitors on Sunday night. We were talking about this topic, like, and that's what I kind of suggest as well that maybe whatever you have a kilometer or two kilometers or whatever that you can do it safely in a in, in a closed environment, as you say. Like, and look, we we don't want to be handing penalties out to anyone. Like, but unfortunately, our, our hands are kind of tied with other forces, shall we say? Yeah, involved. Like, so it was. Um, and look. Sure, look, we know we know this goes on at every event, and it is a safety thing. I only spoke to a competitor today, actually, who, funny enough, went off because of a delay at the the last stage Saturday, because of we had to move the stage start and stuff due to a resident issue, and uh, they blamed the cold tires on on, on their off like that when they came to the first major braking zone, they just they just didn't have the grip, like so. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a definitely a discussion that has to be had. Like, it was it was an issue now at the weekend, all right? Like, is was it a bigger issue at our weekend at the rally, or our rally to weekend and other rallies? Probably not. It's just maybe some people were unfortunate to to be highlighted, I suppose. But um, look, in general, it was just a shame, really. But it, it did cause a lot of uh, organizational issues for us during the day, shall we say, all right? Yeah, it's it's yeah. I suppose it's a, it's a bigger subject, really. But I suppose look. We know it's probably the wrong thing to do, but what do you do? You and especially, and it's it's more obvious actually. Would you believe on a hot day? Because on a hot day, if you leave service with a set of hard tires, they need to be brought up to a higher operating temperature. You're probably oh, yeah. talking, excuse me, in a perfect world, mid forty degrees. I'd have to check the data sheets on them, but I'd say just use maybe forty, say forty five degrees centigrade to bring a tire up to temperature. And you'll only bring that up by leaning on the tire. Now, you could bring it up a lot. A lot of the tire is transferred if you're driving out to the stage and you'll see a lot of guys braking heavy to let the brake, the, the temperature come out, through, the to generate the heat out through the rim and onto the tire. That's quite effective. <laughs> but obviously, to, to lean on the front of it and um, by weaving over and back, that obviously generates quite a, an extensive heat as well. But and if you were at the start of a stage, Anthony, with cold tires and brakes and suspensions, like how how far into the stage would it be? That say about, about two kilometers. About two k. Well, I suppose if you you know if you look at the visor up at the sharp end, probably a little less than you know if they have a good balance in the car. Um, I know everyone will tell you they're they're always trying to warm tires going out, but I think it only applies to the top kind of twenty or thirty cars. And the reason I say that is, and. Correct. Someone is more than welcome to mail in or text in and correct me if I'm wrong. But if you're running from the midfield back, as a rule, you're going to be parked up beyond the control for 15 to 20 minutes. It's not like Northern Ireland where it runs uh, quite efficiently time-wise. Um, in that when you park up, especially when you come to the second stage, you know, it's something I'm always trying to instill into drivers. When you come off the first stage in an Irish rally, and you go on to the second stage and you're belting up and getting ready. I always turn around and say to them, this, this won't run on time. It'll run on time as per the timetable, but it won't run on time for us. So let's just, you don't need to belt up. You don't need to have your hands and helmets on getting to the second stage because inevitably you'll be there for five or six minutes back. So yeah. it's not as big a rush. But as you go further back the field, that delay does get a little longer. So your tires are gone cold anyway. So from people from the midfield back, the majority of them will start on cold tires. 
or it's the bodies up at the sharper end, that's where it, the, the tire warming that, that is quite extensive. I would assume I've never stood on the road section. I suppose it's an exercise sometimes to park up quietly off the side road, two, two or three kilometers from the stage, start and see what is the amount of people doing it. But um, mm. certainly you need to bring the tires up to a, a, quite a high window to get yeah, up to no, operate. And as I said, on a, on a hot day, you have to do more of it because the operating temperature, the working temperature of the hard tires, be it your irrespective of brand is a lot higher and uh, the only day you could safely penalize someone for tire warming legitimately is a wet day because i see guys tire warming on a wet day and i just don't get that <laughs> it just uh yeah that defies all the logic that i understand certainly anyway um, but would, would you yeah, think yeah. if there if there was um tire warming zones to be put in is it only the first section out after service you'd need to bring it in yes yeah once you get them right and once you come to the end of the stage and set your tire pressures back to two bar or 2.1 bar whichever is your prefer preference you will normally once you've such heat in them you'll keep it there and they'll, they'll they'll the heat cycle will come back up again quite quickly but if you stop for 20 minutes or a half an hour because of an incident or a delay it comes back off again it's normally only when you come out with a new set of tires that haven't yeah. had this heat cycle and you're trying to heat them back up from i put it this related like your immersion in your house when you're away after three weeks holidays and you come back and put on your immersion it takes could take hours and hours and hours to get it up to temperature but if you turn it off and turn it on again in three hours it heats up very quickly so once you get the first heat cycle up it's not near as difficult you've kind so, of residual heat in there at that point i suppose yeah and, yeah. and they heat up pretty quickly but yeah the first run out of each and it's only i don't know i believe, I believe drivers make the call on this i know certainly when i'd be sitting with guys i'd be advising them you know even going back 20 years when tires were different in that they didn't take as much preparation as they do nowadays um but normally about four because a lot of drivers I, I say i will take it back to to, to tim mcnulty back when we, we were together and normally about four or five kilometers out the preparation would start from the stage and with about two kilometers to go to get a little bit more intense and you'd have it at a, a nice working temperature or as close as you could get to it before you got to the start um but nowadays it's you know two three four kilometers out you'll be starting your heat preparation and getting the heat built up and we'd have little thermometers i certainly keep one in my bag where we i just open the door and, and point this with a little infrared thing on the tire and I would say here, yeah, we need another bit of work on these, go again, uh, because they're too cold. But um, yeah, sure, look, it's something that maybe in any of the commissions or um, councils and that, that you know, it, it, it will arrive at our table eventually, because as I do, nobody wants to go through what you went through on Saturday, as I said. But, um, Can I bring in a comment here, just while we're on the topic, and we have a few comments coming in, but it's from David. It's, it's very easy to heat tires in a few kilometres, just by braking accelerating without having to go swerving all over the road even a hard compound tire heats easily without having to go mad on the road section there's a man that knows mm -hmm. it depends um, what they call mad i suppose yes and I, I i david is right as i said he's he's up at the the sharp end of things so he knows exactly what he's talking about um i don't know the extent of what went on um yeah so i don't know but yes weaving I would say weaving, yes, a little bit, but I, 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 he's right. Weaving all over the road, I, that probably is not a whole. I, I, I think that's, I think that's where the problems were raised. Actually, the, the, the people involved obviously weren't condoning the speed, but it was the swerving and the slaloming. I suppose they were, they were giving out about like so. But look, it, it happened, and so be it. Like it did, it kind of threw a lot of pressure and stress into the the Saturday. All right, like I actually missed the um, the middle loop of the the stages. Because I was trying to deal with certain individuals, but um, as in authorities and stuff like so, yeah, it was difficult. But look, we got it back running, and then of course we had the accident thrown into the middle of that as well. Like so, it was all go. So, actually, just on your accident, actually, and and uh, um, Kevin, you can take credit for this, or not Kevin? Actually, not, I just took Kevin. So as Kev, I see you've Kev under yours. It's a new abbreviation. Um, if you remember last week, we had one of our contributors, and I can't think of the guy's name. He came up with this great idea that. When does an incident rather than everybody having to turn around and try and get back 
Um, Brian Martin, I think it was. Brian Martin. Well, Brian Martin's theory was put into great effect on, I think it was the stage that uh, was run by the Cork Motor Club in Kevin's Rally, in yes. that the, the stage with the accident obviously was late in the day, and uh, the word came out that that stage wouldn't run again. So what the guys up in the, the Cork Motor Club and their people, they brought the man who was in the control, uh, who's a ex-competitor actually i think bob kelly i could be wrong um and and brought the whole entourage down onto the main road and people didn't have to turn into the stage and they were able to get their time and continue they didn't have to go up and do the loop and so on and so forth right, yeah. it's super efficient i think that's the that's right yeah bob kelly yeah was it yeah so yeah, yeah. that's so they're crediting actually, you the crediting the Irish Rally podcast with the great ID Kev. So you can just go for that. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it, lads. We'll, we'll take, take it. it. We'll take it. In fairness, we'll prove his point to that man. What did you say his name was? I think it was Brian Martin. Yeah. Brian, yeah. We'll prove his point. You know, it, it, you know, it does work. As I said, I was only yeah. picking holes in it the last day. Is it? We, we, yeah. we actually did that back in 2011 as well for the Cork 20, the, the year we denied stages. And the next morning, there was bad fog up in Mulliganish. And the decision was taken that the stage couldn't run. And as you know, Anthony, that when you're at the start line, the Mulganish, like there's a helicopter, yes. you need to lift the thing and turn it around. So I, I actually, because I went back to the road, back into the far side of Ballymakira and diverted them off the Clondrohead Road, like, and it just saved all that hassle, like mm-hmm. trying to turn cars and the whole lot. Like, but um, no, it worked well there on Saturday because the, the alternative was actually you came up the road and you turned left into the stage, but the alternative was actually straight on. So it mm. was an Brilliant. ideal place to do it. Like, idea, so. yeah. Facing yeah. the right direction and everything. Exactly, so. yeah. There was no turning or anything like just drive, stop them, give them the time and drive on like so. I'd wonder is it a thing as from a clock of the course's point of view, <sighs> is it a thing in event planning, or maybe is it a thing that the safety officer should check <clears throat> on their initial inspection to see what is the story with turning cars? I know certainly it isn't done at the moment. I know on safety inspections it's not part of the it's not part of the remit, but you'd wonder, should it be part of the remit? That just have a quick look at, okay, lads, in the event of this cancelled, how do we, what's the logistical issues we're going to have with turning everybody around and the time involved? And... Yeah. Well, I suppose it worked well on this instance because we knew it before the cars got to the stage. Like sometimes, obviously, you're going to cancel the stage while the cars are queued up, mm. but we, we actually knew it wasn't going to run before they got there. So that allowed us to divert them straight on rather than bring them up to from the entrance into the SAC and stuff. So it was mm-hmm. just the way things worked out, really. Yeah. So we a couple of points. Um, Kevin, a couple of <laughs> points, right? So firstly, uh, you know, to be to be quite honest about it, it's nice to have COC here who has opened ideas as well. I'm not saying previous ones weren't, but like often sometimes when you point things out, certain lads might take a bit of offence to it. But when it's a solution-based thing you're pointing out, like just say, for example, if something does become of having the tyre warming section, lads are open to that. That's where things work. And like the other day, when you see the lads taking the initiative and moving the start, you know what I mean, or the control, I should say, mm. you know, that's, it's good. That's what that's what kind of work we're Absolutely. here for. Sometimes I think lads have the perception of us on this podcast that all we want to do is talk about negative shit and bring things yeah. into the gutter. That's not <laughs> the intentions at all. It's actually yeah. a forum to try and make things a bit better, like, you know, that's, your, uh, that's, the, only, that's the only talking about me. That's all. Don't worry about yeah. it. That's, 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 that's the only way you improve things is by taking on board things and, and applying them. And like, the day we stop learning and stuff like that, you know, that's yeah. never happened. Like, yeah, there's, all, there's always ways to improve things. So. Just just when we, when we have you as well, right? And I I found the thread. Well, obviously, when you see a thread, you're looking down through it and you're thinking, right? And you make your own opinion. And when it comes to it, you look at the evidence that's in front of you and make your own opinion. Like, you know what I mean? A lot of lads sometimes get kind of carried away with if someone of profile says something Asher sure, we'll go with that make your own opinion like judge it for yourself you're you're big enough and bold enough that's one thing i'll say but the reason i i say this in general is in terms of the location on saturday i can't think which stage it was on there's a 90 left and obviously a lot of cars were going off and a lot of people were quite critical of the marshals and to be honest with you i felt a bit sorry for them because if you if you get the information uh in its entirety you'll figure that it's virtually impossible to get someone 100 metres down the road before a competing car comes because it's actually not safe to do so. And well, then, actually, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I, I'd be just interested to get your thoughts on it, though. Yeah, well, I, funny enough, I heard about that um, thread there today and that there was criticisms gone, but actually there wouldn't really have been any way for those marshals to go down the road because on the, this, on the run into that, there's actually a bridge, mm-hmm. bridge walls and stuff. So it would actually, if, if, he, if a marshal did run down the road, and some fella like it was obviously sleepy there. If he did go sideways coming into it over the bridge, 
there was nowhere for the marshal to go like so mm-hmm. there was no way they could go down the road safely really to be quite honest with you yeah but kevin even in terms of like before a competing car comes onto the road it didn't seem to be a place where a marshal could actually be you know before a competing car even comes on because that's something i'd be familiar with kind of having have a marshal before where you're there and you can just take out the flight then you know it's run up a live stage but yeah no there didn't seem to, it didn't didn't seem to be safe enough for anyone to do that no because as i said it was no. a bridge it was the, the bridge is yeah. quite long so like you just had the bridge wall and then you obviously had a drop on either sides of it so yeah there was no place on the, unless he stood on top of the wall and risk falling back in there was nowhere yeah. you could uh, put him like it's but that junction is it's a funny junction every time we run it for some reason on particular days it's just becomes a nice rink you know what is and it's actually only a short section from a quite a tight right hander so it's jeez, there was some runoffs there, right? Yeah, savage. Yeah, unfortunately, cars nearly collided, didn't it? Yeah. Um, I suppose you could make a note for the future. For um, you could make a note for the future just to put a think board there or put think some board, yeah, road, something yeah. think board or something for the road book. That oh yeah, this is the famous junction that they yeah. spoke about in the podcast certainly, one time. <laughs> certainly, there was a lot of um, a lot of straight hands there last year as well, but it was wetter. But even mm. in the dry this year, it, it, whatever it is, just very shiny tar just for a very short section that coming into it, like so. Mm-hmm. You might dig um, it up a bit we, for next year or something. We we've a message in as well. Now I firstly may I say I think the the incident that we saw Saturday with the two cars sliding and the incident we saw on down were, were completely different. There was a very short time frame between one car colliding with the other on Saturday, whereas in down there was a little bit more time, I believe. Uh for me and I don't want to name the lads involved in it, to be honest with you. But I, I felt that was kind of unfortunate more so than anything. Like, uh, very, very little time to react in that situation, Kevin, in fairness. Yeah, well, obviously, your, your man who came from behind, he was obviously catching the car in front, like, and he obviously mm. encountered the same problem that the first guy did. Yeah. And, you know, you can criticise and all that, but, you know, he, he was obviously after catching him. If there was the 30 seconds between him still, it wouldn't have been an issue. But that's quite long, far into the stage, so... Like he was obviously only a few seconds behind him, and he encountered the same surface, and probably couldn't divide it. To be fair to him, like so. Mm-hmm. Anthony, I suppose the way you would look at it, no driver intentionally goes out to crash into another driver. Mm. But it opens the debate when, the, <laughs> if you look at the current tracking system, the I'm not sure the brand. Oh, well, I, I know <coughs> the company. But if you look at other tracking, or maybe the current tracking company has it, but there is a facility within other uh, tracking suppliers called Push to Pass. And I think on our last podcast, Hal Lewis asked me below on the forestry in Ballyvoney, you know, is there anything he says you could put on the track and uh, like to have in Formula One that should wave a blue flag? Or is there any technology out there? And I did a little bit of research on it, and there's some good videos, some of them actually showing uh, the driver, Frank Kelly, um, but there's, um, we brought it up at the Competitors Commission there recently, and Art McCarrick in the office uh, showed us one of the videos. It's just a video off YouTube, it's there for anybody to go into it, but it's uh, the rally safe system. So where if in, in the case of this incident, that that car coming from behind would hit a button, I suppose, you know, for, in the perfect world, we make the button blue, I presume it's on the core driver's side on the, on the yeah. tracker console, you'd hit the button, to say you want to pass, you'd hit the blue button. That goes into rally control, who puts up a display on the dash of the car being caught, flashing blue, telling you there's a car behind you. And then it shows up a space that it's 500 metres, 400 metres, 300 metres. It shows it catching you in, in, in decimal form. And I think, you know, to avoid penalties, then you have X amount of time to pull out of the way, similar to, to single-seater racing. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was an ingenious idea, but I suppose it's like all ingenious idea, ingenious ideas, it comes at a price. If my memory serves me correctly, that tracking system is just over twice the price of a current tracking system. So, mm. you know, where you're paying for whatever for, mid 40s a euro per car, well, I guess if you want to pay 100 euro per car per event, you can have it. Yeah. But maybe it's, you know, it's like everything, it's like medicine. It might get cheaper in the future if there's a generic version. But um, but if the, the technology is out there, this uh, this is the thing of the push to pass. So maybe that's the, the way of the future, along with virtual chicanes and all these other things. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Kevin, you've been very good with your time. Uh, Anthony, is there anything you want to ask Kevin before we do let him go? I know we have a couple of texts in and stuff that we we got yesterday, but with Tommy Kamana standby that we could probably ask those questions there as well. And Kevin Kevin could do it the rest, I'd say. But before we let him go. <laughs> of course, there's one question. You don't see your C for the COP20 again next year. 
to be discussed. You've, you've already answered it. I could, you could, all you do is pick up on the facial expression. You go, "Jeez, he didn't ask me that, did he?" <laughs> Jeez, that's an awful question to ask a man. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. In the first day or two, you'd be saying absolutely not, and then when you get a bit of a rest on board, you'd be you're raring to go again. You know, absolutely, water. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We'll Kevin, see. a pleasure, pleasure as always. Well, Thanks for coming on again. Well, well done, a super well show as always. I tell you, to be fair to them, I, I think some clubs may not be aware, but Kevin tried out a new uh, chicane uh, to, to, to be able to visually see chicanes by putting up a more visible approach to them this year. So it'll be interesting to see how competitors' feedback is on that. I, I put a call out there to people today and I got a lot of private messages back that you could nearly see these things from the moon compared to before. No, albeit people still hit be- them. To people still hit them, yeah, but to be fair, like they they were a super job. And to be fair, it is yourself, Anthony, kind of so um, nothing to do with me at all. You're the first man to try them, so but uh, Jesus, no, they were and you know, people were saying they take a long time to set up and all that. But to be fair, the crews who were setting them out, they had proper like bundry straps and everything. And geez, you'd see him as you say, you'd see him from way back, like fa- fabulous job, like fabulous it does, job. It, it does improve, the, it should improve as it is. Pity I wasn't there just to try it myself, but yeah, yeah. it's uh, and, there's and a lot the, of the, private messages back to me here on them. So, yeah, the other thing we had this weekend, and we, well, it's not we, we didn't use it for the first time, Donegal had it as well. But, um, in addition to Angus's timing system, we, we brought a guy in from the UK, that's that's what he does, that's his business, his, his living, where there was a module fitted to the clocks to zap the time automatically. And I didn't get much opportunity to see it in operation, except at the end of the last stage when we were waiting for the, the cards and see the results. And I could hear Josh finish at the stop car. At the, I could hear him passing the flying finish and stopping at the stop car. And I was maybe 100 meters up from it. And before he got to me, the times around the system. Super wow. fast, super fast. Obviously, it relies on good coverage or whatever no like but it's definitely um it's a fantastic addition it, it, like we we went to the safeguard system of having the manual system as well we put out all the reels and the passage controls just as a backup but we didn't need it like we never and we had zero time queries at the end of the rally zero zero so, you're not our woods yet kevin tommy come on once say hello internet sensation tommy come in hello tommy. <laughs> are you all well yeah they're very well. All. They're all good. no i just asked i just asked kev there that he keep kevin on for a second uh just from our own point of view there just to commend kevin on the, the weekend and the event but um many people wouldn't know but my first appearance on this podcast, the first man to ring me at nine o'clock the following morning was Kevin O'Reardon, paying attention to what was being said in the podcast. And he just went out of his way to make sure that, you know, that the historics were happy prior to even entering the event. And he asked what we were looking for and what we wanted. And that's a sign of a good COC, you know, to, to confirm, to look out for what competitors wanted. And in fairness, Kevin, the event that went off exceptionally well for us the weekend, just to com- commend you and the team and the, and the marshals are on. So well done. Fair play. Thanks yeah, for that, yeah. Tommy. Thanks for that, point. Thanks for that. It's great to see such a good Tommy, historic he said, he, said, he said he's going to do it again next year, so you're okay. <laughs> no, I didn't. The, no, only, I didn't. the only complaint I have about the weekend is you might turn down the temperature a small, but you will be roasted the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it was hot out there, right? Yeah. It's a good complaint. It's a good complaint. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Thanks, Kevin. We'll chat to you. All right. Cheers. Take yeah. it easy. How's the forum, Tom? Good now. Good. Panicked a bit here this evening. I kind of half forgot about this and pardon the quality. I'm on the phone, so and the kids You're are right. shushed in the background not to be talking. Yeah, are you have to flip that phone sideways there and see can we get you in uh, in a different uh, mode? I'm upside mode. down now, I think. There yeah, you yeah, go. There we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, no. oh, no. All right, there it was. There it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we had obviously a couple of people getting in touch with us regarding questions, and a lot of them were historic related actually. And one of them, I suppose, I'll, I'll get the exact reading of it here now because I have it, I have it out, but the, the, other one, the other one is, is less kind of, I suppose, more straightforward. And it was about running historics at the front of the field. Um, I know that's something we might have touched upon briefly. What's the feeling among historic competitors now? Is that a possibility, do you think, or is it something that you would be in favour of? It's open for debate and a lot of opinions are on it. Um, I suppose the, the big one we had here the last time on the podcast was about keeping, the, whether we'd run together or whether we'd go into the field separated. Mm-hmm. It seems that the general consensus and we're happier to be together. 
Um, I don't know if anyone saw some of the photographs from the weekend there, particularly the finished photographs, but the camaraderie and the banter and the crack all weekend long and the cars that were competing. So staying together, number one, is the ideal situation. Yes, obviously, we'd love to run at the start of the rally, but um, you'd probably you'd be guaranteed that you'd have more stages and less blockages, I think, up to lunchtime on Sunday. I think, as percentage-wise, we were still the one category that was still going with the highest amount of numbers, obviously, the attrition later on in the afternoon with heat and engines and so forth. But running at the front of the rally, yes, we'd love to. From an organisational point of view, I don't know how it would work in timing. And the reason I say that is that there, there's quite a large gulf in the historics in one sense. It's quite competitive. It's quite fast. But of the 19 or 20 cars the weekend, there's still, if you look at the times, there's still a gap between them. So I don't know how you would really keep them all together and not lose the running of your event itself. It's open for debate, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. That kind of segues into the other question, funnily enough, that, that came in. And it was double barrel. It was to do with running at the front. But also it was to do with a splitting of the actual class itself. And the example used was uh, a Pinto engine up against a BDA. Is it fair to have it all under one? And no. that's something I, I was, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. To put, not to cut across you, but no. <laughs> we were the only Pinto on the rally at the weekend. And mm -hmm. if you look at the times from the, particularly Sunday stages, the two faster, quicker stages, there's not a hope in the world we'd keep the boys in the BDAs, losing maybe over a minute per stage to them. You know, a four-speed box, um, Pinto, there's no comparison between the two, no comparison. And here's when, you look at the, when you look at the championship and you look at the, the way it's running, like we didn't have, we have had a class win in most rallies this year. We're not in it for the trophy, if, if, if truth be told. But as Philip, my driver, said to me at the weekend, what we'd love for at the end of the year when it's all wrapped up is to be seen within our own capabilities, where do we finish up? But unfortunately, the way the categories have been run in the events, we're all being lumped in together. And effectively, it's been based on the year of manufacture. So if you turn up with a Porsche or a Mini, a Mark One or a Mark Two, it doesn't matter what's on the put. It, it's based on the year of manufacture. Now, it was said to me, I was collecting trophies for somebody else at the weekend. And then they said, you have a trophy to collect? And I said, no. I said, we, we actually finished, I think it was fifth in the class because of being in with the BDAs. And they said, you know, our problem is there's too many subcategories. There's actually a rally within the rally. So there's too many subcategories in the historic rally. No, it wouldn't. It, again, it's not the principle of the trophies, but you are competing against far greater power cars and you're never going to get the better of them. So if you look at anyone that's into looking at times, you look at the times from Sunday's rally, the BDAs were just completely wiping the floor with, with us in the Pinto, you know. So, yeah, it, it needs to be looked at. It definitely needs to be looked at in terms of having fairness, you know, and that's that's a big issue, to be fair. But you'd wonder in time, and I'm only just being the devil's advocate here for a second, you'd wonder in time that, okay, let's just say you split it, and obviously there's probably a 100 horsepower deficit, maybe mm -hmm. open 100 horsepower deficit, 80 to 100 horsepower between a 2-litre Pinto and a 2-litre BDA. But if you look at that, then just say you sorted out, very similar to what was done with class, uh, the 1600 class years ago. Uh, you had this, um, you had the, the 8 valve and the 16 valve, and, and then you had to split it again, that front wheel drive and rear wheel drive. But if you ended up with the historic rally and gone down the road of having all these classes split, you then eventually end up with the same as the main rally with like 24 different classes and within a, a, an event that already had 24 and that could give you 48, you'd be heading on and then you'd have the juniors, you've got a 50 different classes to be just bananas. I'm only just throwing it out there now. So is that what yeah, would happen I eventually? I suppose if you look at the setup the weekend, you'd 17, 18 and 19 like they run the national events. But yes, you might have the lad in the BDAs, then might argue, but about the four wheel drive, two, you know, two litre four wheel drive cars that are starting to come into the historics as well. But yes, as I said, I said previously in this podcast, Declan Casey made a very valid point when we spoke about this in West Cork at one of the first rounds of the camp. He said, You approach the lads in class 12 and 13 until now, you have to fight it out with the lads in class 14 for the weekend. You know, it, it doesn't work, it's not fair to be, you know, and at the end of the day, like you pay entries, you pay entries in, and you pay entries to, to championships. We're just kind of looking for it to be reflected, you know, fairly to be seen that, yes, we don't want to be known as the best of the rest, for want of a better word. You know, and I mean, there were other cars competing the rally the weekend, you know, the Minis and, and the Lancia and so forth. Like, they're never going to stay with, never never did they or would they stay with the BDAs. But 
it's just you need to, you, you definitely have to separate the, the categories to be seen fairly yeah it's what it's yeah it's like look it's like everything everything is open for debate um i i don't know enough about it um but my only worry would be that you'd end up with as many classes you had in the main field and and a lot of people would say there's too many classes in that to begin with um the only thing is you right there is total inequity between it, it's definitely the, it's definitely the hottest rallying in the country at the moment you know Oh, and it's expanding it's growing at a, an exponential rate all the time fair, so. all the time but but the opposite to that then is that your fear is that if you don't separate out the cars properly and let everyone have their fair chance are you are you shooting yourself in the foot somewhat you know fellow century i have no business turning up there i'm not going to keep up with cars that have five-speed boxes and 100 brake horsepower extra you know you need to recognize the difference in the cars and the classes as well i think I just read this message out to you. I can't give you the man's name unless he texts me in the next two minutes to tell me that it's allowed, but I know he's listening. Actually, he gives it away himself if people are smart enough to work it out. In 08, when I first ran the Historics, I ran, this is an event, COC, I first ran the Historics, I ran Category B, Category, sorry, I'll read you. I do apologize, I'm making a mess of this. In 08, when I first ran the Historics, I ran Category B, Category C, Category D in their respective groups and and not mixed. At that time, Ray Cunningham was was as fast as the Pintos. So he ran categories B, C, and D separately. So yes. obviously that's not what's happening today. No, we're all been lumped in ah. together now. Okay. And is that the same in the UK and, and Europe in general? No. 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 Okay, so it's no. an Irish thing. So it's obviously an Irish thing, it, yeah. so so in O8 it was fine. And then somebody changed it since so yet. You see, yeah, if you read if you read the rules, something actually when we went back and looked at this because we were trying to get an email together collectively, we noticed that even in the national championship, the only category that doesn't have priority entries or an actual overall championship not in the rule book is actually the historics. And signs by if you look at if you look at historic entries in the national rounds, there's only two or three, maybe four cars per round. Maybe if, if organisers maybe took a step back and championship organisers took a step back and realised there is 20 to 25 historic cars turning up at most tarmac championship rounds now, maybe it's the way to go. You know, there's a review needs to be done, I think. It needs to be looked at. Yeah, as I said, it's gross. I suppose now is the time to address all these inaccuracies or, you know, possible inaccuracies in that it's, while it's growing, don't wait till it... Don't stim its growth by not addressing these beforehand and restrict no, people. Absolutely. To and you know, I yeah. and I think the other side of it is that if we if we address it now, I think it's only a bigger it's going to get because from the talk you, you get the impression there's a lot of UK uh, competitors looking to come over here because of the popularity in historic rallying at the moment. Yeah, you can't refuse any entries. Every entry is valid at this stage. Yeah, it's a valid point, yeah. Um Tony O'Driscoll has been in touch. He wants the juniors to run out in front. Um, so your competition, Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and again, that's a valid point. I mean, they, they could argue the same, you know, it's, it's no different to any, any class in the rally at looking to... I, I, yes, obviously, I prefer to run at the start of the rally, but I'm realistic. I can't see it happening. And I think the best option is, as I said previously, us running together with our own double O's. And the proof is in the pudding. You look like... If you had an insight into the WhatsApp group over the weekend and the help, you see... Like there was a competitor that had to change a gearbox. The, the competing team next door got stuck in changing the gearbox in that car. And subsequently, the, the, the favour was paid back before the evening was out because there was an engine hauled out of a car in service. And it's just, it's phenomenal, the, the, the crack and the banter and the camaraderie that exists there. So mm -hmm. thankfully, we're being kept together on events. Mm -hmm. I know if you go back in time, um, sorry, I'm reading messages at the company. Why is that here? Oh, get any. Sorry, can why is it at the TRA getting it? So I have to read that again. Um, sorry, I'm at the losing my train of thought now. I do apologize, folks. Why is it TRA getting historic injury but not in Triton rounds? Yeah, I'm at the being sent a question. I don't know what it what it refers to. Sorry. Carry on, uh, folks. I'm going, I'm going to take ownership here because Tony just goes back in touch again. He said, read the comment. I please wouldn't go astray, Tony, first of all. Uh, but I will read the comment out. The juniors should definitely run out in the front when running on their own in most cases. They don't get a full rally with stages being lost. In fairness, they did get a full rally in the car at the moment. They pay more than half the entry for less than half the stages in two days. Are you happy to read about 
be polite. Uh, the forestry run two wheel drives first. They do, yeah. Uh, the J1000's out there, yeah. He said thanks, no run, Tony. Grand, okay. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Um, I, I have a couple of other things I, I do want to kind of address before we, before we finish up as well. But in general, I know you've paid tribute, Tommy, to the uh, the event, and uh, by all accounts, it, it was ran fierce well. In your opinion, then, and you've got a, a very well, I suppose, calculated opinion. Why, why, in your opinion, did the entries fall down? Everything else seems to be really good about it. Like we're hearing such great feedback. Yeah, there was a couple of there was a couple of ideas about that. Um, I suppose we'll just take it from a historic point of view. The historics was double points at the weekend, so that's why maybe there was a, a good strong entry, even though it's only seventeen or eighteen days to the final round, the Ulster, which has double points. Um, there was other events on the country at the weekend, and I know you touched on the fact that Kevin was very honest about saying, you know, pulling marshals left, right, and centre. Maybe it's an issue for the governing body. You know, I know the lads pulled it to a weekend and it's a bank holiday weekend and the weather was exceptionally good. Quite close to the final round. You know, if you're if you're tied up in a championship, maybe yeah, your hand was forced to go to court, but a lot a lot of the other we'll say the main field juniors is all double points in Ulster. So what why go to Cork and do a two day rally for X amount of points when you can go two weeks later to the Ulster and get double the points for the same amount of mileage? So I don't know. It was a fantastic, fantastic weekend, fantastic event. Um, stages were exceptional. Uh, maybe a little bit too quick for our Pinto, but I have to say, like the whole layout of the whole rally, and even the likes of moving the time control to the road section. You know, when things weren't going their way, they were losing stage miles, and just a bit of forward thinking by the club. I have to say, I have to commend them on it. In fairness, but I, I suppose it just it comes down to whenever whenever you move an event and move the date of an event, you're not going to please everybody. You know, and there's it's it's a hard call, I suppose, and they made the call in fairness to them. But from an organisational point of view, the rally was exceptionally good the weekend. So it's just a pity it didn't get more numbers. I just see it, it ties in. Actually, I got an explanation back actually to this message that came in on the phone. There, how is it that the Tarmac Championship rounds, i.e., the Corks and the so on and so forth, how do they get such a good historic field, but the national events don't? Good question. Don't know. Good question. I'd say one of the reasons, I suppose, if, if you look at the, the makeup of, of the current championship, a lot of the competitors are, are traveling from the UK. And I suppose uh, value for for, them, for money coming for two days rallying, when you do the same travel and bringing crews, it's it's probably one of the biggest factors is the finance factor of it. They're getting two days rallying and two days recce condensed. In, whereas you're coming from a national round, you know, come Friday evening, you're recce Saturday, you rally Sunday and you're gone back again for the same travelling money. That would be one of the big reasons I would say it's getting was, it's getting the support. Was there, how many of, I don't know how many took part in Cork, well, I think it was mid-20s, how many were from Nin overseas? 19. 19 uh, I think there was, there was 19 historic cars in, the, in Cork at the weekend, yeah. and I would say, without looking at an entry list, there was definitely seven or eight of those cars from the UK. All right, so almost, almost 50%. Almost half, yeah. Yeah, and even some even some of the Irish competitors are actually travelling from the UK to, to to compete in the event. Right. Yeah. Okay. Can I bring in a couple of comments, lads? Uh, Carl Egan's been in touch about a couple of different things. He was on about the, the rally safe tracking system. Had the function, Anthony, about what you were saying to warn cars when they're coming up on another car when it comes to the cost. He also says UK forestry run historics and fourteen hundred CC and sixteen hundred cars. Force seems to work well. And he's added to say 40 miles on a Friday in the Ulster for the same points as three days in Donegal and two days on the other rounds doesn't seem fair. Mm -hmm. 40, I didn't even see the schedule for Ulster yet. So there's 40, is that what all it is? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I've heard that from people. Mm. Okay, I didn't know that now. And uh, Paul McMahon just add to it, uh, look at the forestry, zero historic cars compared to the UK. Okay. Say that again, Kevin. Zero cars to which? Look at the Forestry Championship. Zero historic cars compared to the UK. Now, I, I can't say whether that's zero, or, literally zero or not, but I, I suppose very little. If no, any, and, I, and I'd say I'd say the reason for that, and, and this is a, a very quick answer to that one, the reason there's probably no historics, or that there's greater historics in forestry in the UK is because they don't have the tarmac rallying. And there were probably fellas that are building cars in the UK are building specifically to the forestry championship, whereas we're obviously blessed here. 
there's a couple of cars being used here in the Forestry Championship of historic spec, but the, the racing is on the tarmac here. I'd say if they had their way in the UK, there, there'd be a lot more tarmac rallies where they would be building to that specification. So that's mm -hmm. probably a quick answer to that one. You're building to what's in front of you. Yeah. Uh, one more comment from our good friend Greg McCarthy. He says, all great ideas above. All commentators are members of motor clubs to get their licenses. Come to club meetings and bring your ideas there so that the ideas can be discussed and brought forward to the governing bodies if they're viable. Yeah. Again, perfect. Yeah. And, and another, another man to, to, to give me is Joe Greg that was on the ground at the weekend. And again, after back of the podcast, when I was on the first time talking about historics, another man that was very quick in the phone the following morning to, to discuss matters from previous rallies going forward. So in fairness, there is there is a lot of good ideas and a lot of forward thinking out there. It's to it's to formulate those now and get them to the, the rallies committee and the governing body to you know to nail it down before we, we go in, we race into twenty twenty three and, and make the championship stronger again. Mm -hmm. going to put yep. you in the spot now normally I don't but it's an easy one your views on tyre warming <laughs> well I have, to, I have to laugh at it tyre warming for us doesn't apply we're too busy out of the car talking and blackguarding and joking with each other and having Brilliant. the crack and plans for that night no and you know you made a very valid point in that entity yes it does affect the top 20 or 30 cars when you know when you're dealing with manufacturers and, and tire suppliers and so forth yeah. but yeah we sp we spend 10 15 maybe 20 minutes sitting inside the controls um it is out of the cars we're getting yeah it is getting out of the cars we are to try and cool down yeah weirdly enough i i, I knew without even prompting you that's the way you go with the answer i just yeah, it is only a certain cohort at a certain uh, end of the Absolutely. Field. And look, yeah. from, from, a, from a PR point of view as well, yes, something probably has to be done in relation to it because for, for, for the, the general public that watch these rally cars going up and down the main roads on the way to stages, and if you have tyre warming going on, it does look awful. You know and it doesn't give a good impression and we're all banded with the, we're painted with the one brushed in that's where the, the element of of um negative publicity comes out of the sport you know so maybe yes, designate some sort of a spot the, the problem with the tire warming then you know if you designate a, a kilometer two kilometers for for tire warming where i can see an issue arising with that would be what about the fellow that that has the misfortune of going off in the first two kilometers warming tires of the services are gone to him at the stage start there's probably a number of safety questions that would have to arise out of that as well. I suppose, yeah, it's looked as it's, um, but then again, I suppose the counter argument to that, which is better that the services are going into him in a closed road or they're going into him on the main road. Absolutely. I thought, yeah. look, it's like yeah. everything. It's a topic for discussion at a top table somewhere that at least let's hope that this podcast has started the discussion. Um, albeit we won't be involved in the decision in the things, but at least we might have started the conversation, started it heading, heading in the right direction. But. Yeah, Tommy, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks a million again for coming on. No matter. Chat to you again soon, no doubt. And uh, the very best look at everything else going forward. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Cheers, lads. Thanks a million, Tommy. Um, a couple more comments. Uh, Lee Foley to talk about marshes we did earlier about that location in particular. Uh, Dave Berry's been in touch. Another great conversation tonight. Cheers, boys. Now, Dave had a comment after the Donegal rally in regards to the TV coverage. And uh, I meant to call this out actually last week, uh, but I will, I'll call it out here now. I said, hi Kev, the subject is televised broadcast of rallies. After last podcast, uh, this was brought up. So we'll start with the fact that the world has just emerged from a pandemic rallying. It was in a hiatus, which helped some competitors prep their cars and some to save so they can do more. Plum, Gary and the rest of the RPM team revolutionized televised rallying as before that we had to watch World of Sport on a Saturday afternoon for the whole three and a half hours for a 10 minute clip, which only showed the top five. Uh, he suggested get Michael Brackett from Rondelima Sports on the podcast to discuss the costing for events as looking at his post on the Facebook page had already done directly for Donegal. Uh, I have no problem having a chat with Mick Bracken on this podcast, by the way, on Rondelima Sports. Uh, I might actually give him a shout. I might have a chat with him very, very soon. Uh, now, looking at the past TV programs, do they not just do the event it's also oh, sorry they don't just do the event it's also a tourist uh, tourist information advert who should be charged for this tv coverage question mark well this in my mind is part of several club county 
notation, competitors and spectators club. There should be some budget for this and plan the event. I know an event is expensive, i.e. road closures, cost of closure cars, PR costs, martial hospitality and officials, name but a few. County economic growth, i.e. hotels, restaurants, pubs, shops and petrol stations. Uh, the nation, tourism and uh, economy for the government uh, competitors. Yes and no. Put 30 euro on the entry fee as not everyone gets TV coverage. They also need this for their sponsors. Uh, that's a little bit early for just as I'm calling it out, but I'm, I'm calling it out as I'm reading this. Spectators, well, this is controversial, but a weekend pass for 20 euro to give them access to service areas and special spectator areas. If there's no TV coverage in the long run, the club might lose sponsors. Uh, the title of the, the championship sponsors, I suppose, the event and individual stages. For the county, they lose income to business. Countries, a loss of income from tourism. And competitors, a potential loss of sponsors and a need to budget to compete. So you lose them. And uh, spectators, well, no events, no spectators. Thank you for your wonderful podcast. And I look forward to watching each one. Your friend Dave Berry from the Isle of Man. P.S. You can you can tell Nestor he's the dog's bollocks, as I always laugh at him. So there you go. Uh, read out <laughs> to uh, the best of uh, my ability. And thanks to, to Dave for, for getting in touch. IrishRallyPodcast at gmail.com if anyone wants to do so. Um, I know we addressed it in the last episode, but uh, yeah, the conversation right. with Nick is probably the way to go. You can't. Yeah. Um, I've been, I know I've a lover dog as I have actually two or three of them nipping around me, but I, I, I must say it's the first time I've ever been called the dog's bollocks, I must say. But um, <laughs> um, I've been called the one half of it. Usually, usually the dog is left out. <laughs> usually the dog is left out of it, and I'm just called the other bit on its own. Um, he's right. You can't argue the point. Um, I think history will judge us poorly that when we're all old and in the nursing home and we're playing our videotapes, let's call it, because they'll probably come back into fashion again, there'll be no 50 at Donegal. There'll be no Cork 20, albeit, to be fair, um, I do know that Cork 20 were, were looking for coverage, TV coverage, but I think it, it, it is a long, complicated wrangler, and to be fair, I, I, I'm not going to get into it uh, because I don't have all the facts. But I think the TV slots were all in relation to that you had to maybe put two or three events together and mm. Cork couldn't go alone, even though yeah, they wanted yeah, it yeah. and they, they were I set guess. up for it. But they couldn't have it. There was nobody able to do it. It is my understanding that there was nobody able to provide the, the, the coverage or the footage to provide the show because there wasn't the availability of slots. You had to, I think you had to book for three or four events and there wasn't three or four events, let's say, on board. I, I think it's a pity. I think this... Whereas the social media stuff is great and, and it's instant, but it's, you know, it's like everything. It's quite repetitive and it's very easily forgotten. Um, I think the, the the history of having the, 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 the event to sit back and watch, um, albeit um, uh, there's several companies out there. I see a company called Mad for Tar. I, I don't know the names of the people. I see Flying Finn that do lovely uh, video shots. And, and and they are lovely, but of course you missed, uh, as that man says, you missed the Plum and the Gary Gillespies and uh, and the Mick Brackens and the Elaine Hayes and all the people doing the commentary. Um, yeah, I personally, I'm of the. You know, I suppose you'd have to ask a different age group, maybe as well. I, I personally like to sit back and watch the TV program. Um, and if you remember our podcast the last day, somebody was, I think it was you actually mentioned, you know watching a car coming up, knock Allah, and I just said to you, where did you see that? And you saw it on television. You weren't actually there. Mm -hmm. You saw it on TV. So I think the memories from Facebook things at the end of stages and in service areas and that, they, they, they get, get forgotten quite easily, whereas the memories of TV, in your case, the last day were less than nearly 30 years. So, yeah. you know. But then, as uh, that chap said, and rightly so, you would need to charge, I think, I, I'm not sure what I said, I think he mentioned 30 quid, maybe that's what I said the last day, that every competitor would have to add 30 quid onto the interview because at the end of the day, somebody has to pay for it. And that's what the problem is. The problem is who's going to pay for it. And at the, at the moment, in Irish motorsports, you have two revenue streams for incoming money, the competitor and the sponsor. That's it because we have no mechanism here, which is a pity that there isn't a, a working group put together to explore it, to see where could you take it. 
if there's only a charge of five we're going into service and supply a lanyard and a program or something i don't know that i i'd like to be fair if anyone had the, the cojones to try and get it up and run i'd love to be part of a a, a, a that group be, together to get that up and just to explore a, it anyway. There's a, a couple of uh, questions after Conan. Tony O'Driscoll said, Sorry for the bad manners. Great show. It's Grand Tony. All is favorite. <laughs> don't worry. Sir uh, Keown says, Why don't Fodge Ireland invest in advertising? Our great country through this big revenue generator rallying. Now, I think where I was going to add in on this was you need someone to lobby that accordingly and document it. Do you know? So yeah. then, um, like, do you know? unless you'd literally dumb it down and put it professionally in front of someone you know i don't think i don't think it's like everything i suppose it's how you it's how you sell it really but it is but if you look at how the story was told as well do you know what i mean it was a it was like a, a lullaby for grown-ups to be honest with you like the oh, way the way it was put, it was fantastic Brilliant, it was just a story grace. being told you know what i mean um a if work you... of art really like it was. If you go back and listen to the old footage, it's it's and this is not taken from the current type of footage of, of from all media. Uh, personally, for me, Plum Tindall and Gary Bellespie, it was like a I, I don't know am I using the right term in the English language, like a crescendo. There was a build up of the drum and all the way, and then mm. Austin McHale arrived at the corner. There was great enthusiasm. There was a build up uh, to you know great enthusiasm to. You know, I have memories in my head that are going on with Vincent Bonner in Donegal, which would be one of the ones I loved when he, he was there against mm. the BMWs. And everybody has their own memories of things yeah. they saw. James Colin coming through the village in Ramelton and Plum Tyndall jumping around with excitement, you know, and, and narration. Yeah. Um, and all those memories are television memories. Uh, yeah. Mikhail, the time he went off at Will Hare's Corner and went down into mm. the... the into the the shook as they call it in Monaghan and all those are television memories but you can nearly in it's a bit like with the Irish football team when um um George Hamilton that the very famous phrase the time of the goalkeeper and Packy Bonner a nation holds its breath mm. every person man woman and child in this country knows where they were when that was said and to a smaller degree we can all have those same memories for all of Plum mm. and the older. And when Morrisworth Ireland bought all that uh, footage, and they see it on from time to time, they're quite regularly. I think it's every week they release Thursday, one think, yeah. it's a Thursday. Yeah. And like you see how professional they were in their ports. But obviously, you know, it was probably a big budget operation. It's um, and there was probably a lot more money back around then. And, and also, it may not have been as expensive as, uh, as it is nowadays to try and get. Uh, space on TV, but yeah, maybe to have Mick Bracken on an evening there and have a chat and see what this is all about. And yeah, well, late, I suppose, I suppose, like everything, late, let's let you know a lot of people. I suppose I, I, I'm aware of the cost because I've looked into them before, but maybe you know, is it is it the subject of a, of a program some night? Let's lay the costs of, of TV coverage bare on the program. Mm. Um, I suppose there's many issues with like I, I certainly, um. Another thing we, we might look at sometime is the Women's Commission, which is gathering great momentum in the country. I think they're having a meeting tonight. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, you know, we do a night on that. Um, there's so many other things. And one thing that's close to my own heart that we're definitely, I hope, to do, do, do a thing on is insurance covers. We won't dampen tonight with talking mm. about that, but personal accident insurance and providing your own that's something we need to mm. you know yeah. get the message out there to say right lads you need to start insuring yourselves and mm. just you know have people secure god forbid anything happens but yeah, yeah there's so much yeah there is i can't argue with anything from that chap in the other man he's he, he's spot on yeah we'll have we'll have that chat hopefully we'll make all going well and yes yeah as, look as i said they are they are stories that are told whether it was on on Lima Sports or whether it was on RPM. The one Donegal ninety nine was a standout for me. I actually may go back and dig out the clip, the intro at the start of that. Chicane Salt Water was the tune anyway, but the way Plum was so articulate, there's something plague around related. Uh, the Sprint Media boys actually did a podcast on that rally. Definitely worth checking out. Uh Rally DNA as well, Killian Cronin. Let's give him a shout out. He's he's flying it there. Um I want to you know, Killian's been in touch quite a bit and he's doing great work. Uh, East Coast Rallying, they've been in touch a bit as well. They're uh, YouTubing as well. So we'll give them a bit of a shout. The other thing I wanted to just uh, make people aware of, 
behind the scenes, and it reminds me, I must give Willie Maverty a shout tomorrow, is we are doing a tribute programme to Rory Galligan as well in the coming weeks. Now, this was on the agenda over the past couple of months, and between one thing and another, mainly my fault, I haven't got around to actually putting that together. But that's going to happen over uh, over the next couple of weeks, and, and all going well. I still have to speak to his family and all. We're hoping to maybe do a, a link where people can donate to... Uh, an organisation of the of the family's choice, maybe. So, uh, yeah, in in the next couple of weeks, uh, just just I suppose keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah, Anthony. Aside from that, I suppose I I, I just want to thank you. I want to thank Kevin O'Reilly. I want to thank Tommy Command. I think it's been a very enjoyable program. Again, we have you know a lot of uh, viewers and and listeners writing in via Facebook, YouTube, and indeed by email. And it's great to actually be able to provide this forum. It's very enjoyable. And to be honest with you, I learn a lot from it myself listen to you guys that have been involved uh, for all these years so uh thanks again any other business before we finish up no looking forward to the ulster four weeks time let's rock on there, there was a couple of things sorry the carlo car club have a forestry sprint on this sunday wexford are obviously taking in entries at the moment the Galway some rally i think are taking in entries as well so just to give them a shout out and i think uh wexford have a concept if you bring a marshal I think there's a caveat with the entry as well. I think it's favourable upon you. I don't know the exact ins and outs. I think you get priority. I didn't look at it now, but I think you get a priority. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a great concept. And another, one in fairness, sure, anything. You try anything. It's better yeah. try and fail than not try. Try something. Yeah, Wexford. In fairness, we're we're really putting ourselves forward a couple of years back when, like it's literally a couple of years back now, to get an event going. They were pushing very strong. We're quite close to actually pulling that off. But I think the lockdown. The second lockdown might have might affect it up, but I think they were good to go. Like so, they're always good to come up with a, a couple of bits and bobs like that, and and they're forward thinking. Anthony, we'll leave it there. Thanks a million. Appreciate your time, and just a shout out once more to uh, Tree Rock. our sponsors for the Tarmac Championship. Uh, we're back again, obviously in the next couple of weeks, and uh, yeah, don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Irish Rally Pod. Nice bit of spam coming in. I noticed on YouTube there as so well. Have to hear that. Lovely. Uh, until next time, lads, take care.